Everyone wants to know the future. Knowing what may come gives us a sense that we have the ability to plan, to make decisions, and possibly even avoid negative outcomes. But when trying to figure out what might occur, we need to take into account what has already occurred. And if we're getting potential future insight from a professional, we need to know that they're informed and able to guide us with at least some amount of wisdom. Joining me today is Dan Warman. When it comes to cyber, Dan definitely has some wisdom. He's a well-known voice in cybersecurity and his resume boasts an impressive list of positions and leadership in both the public and private sector. Additionally, he is the author of three books on cybersecurity. Now, Dan does something really interesting every year. He publishes an annual review of top cyber organization predictions. Think of this like a content analysis of over two dozen industry-leading reports. Given the hours he's devoted to analyzing these market predictions, Dan's view is both broad and deep. We're gonna utilize his expertise today and focus on a few hot topics for 2023. Ransomware, social media, crypto, and the war in Ukraine. So let's find out what Dan thinks our future might hold. Join me as we venture into the breach. So Dan, I want to welcome you to Into the Breach, and I've you know kind of been a fan of yours in the sidelines for a while. So I'm going to give you an opportunity here to uh, to tell us about yourself. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. So I work for Presidio, and I am the field CISO, field chief information security officer, focusing on public sector mainly. But I think we're going to talk about this a little bit. Do some work with the private sector as well. A speaker, blogger, writer on cybersecurity. 30 years plus in over 30 years in the security industry, started a national security agency. I was in England with Lockheed and Mantec in the 90s. And then I was uh, 17 years in Michigan government. So in Michigan, a lot of different roles. I was in uh, CISO, first CISO in Michigan, first CISO for 50 state governments, started back in 02. But then I was a CTO for Michigan. And then we brought physical and cybersecurity together. So I was CSO over physical and cybersecurity in Michigan. Uh, and then I went on to work for Security Mentor. I've written three books, and my most recent one is called Cyber May Day and the Day After, A Leader's Guide to Preparing, Managing, and Recovering from Inevitable Business Disruption. We talk about ransomware stories, you know, what happens, the good, the bad, the ugly, what really, you know, behind the scenes from the eyes of a CFO, CSO, CEO, what happens, and also some, you know, government leaders as well. But uh, yeah, just, I look passionate about cybersecurity and just real excited about today's show. Well, thanks. I, I, we should have aired this before Christmas because those books actually make excellent Christmas presents. Hint, hint, folks. All right. So, Dan, you write this article annually, and I alluded in the landing page article for this episode that it's, this is kind of like a content analysis, if you will, of industry leaders and other folks' predictions in the industry. How did you come to create this synthesis? It, it looks like you put a lot of hours into it. Yeah, thanks for asking. I mean, I, I started doing this in about 2014. I originally was involved with predictions in cybersecurity going back even earlier than that. So 2008, 2009, saw that a lot of people at the end of the year were putting together these reports. And, you know, it's almost like now become, if you're you know, involved in almost any aspect of cybersecurity, people feel obligated to, to give their predictions about what's going to happen in the coming year. But I also noticed as I was I was participating, giving my predictions, that not all the prediction reports were created equal. Almost like, you know, we think about Gartner and Forrester and different, you know, reports and the research that goes into them. 
And some companies were coming out with, you know, these really great reports that had a lot of references and, and research and data and, you know, like IBM does, but, you know, lots of other companies, Trend Micro and, and Mandiant and FireEye was, you know, these companies have changed, right? And, and bought Symantec over the years, uh, McAfee, just different companies. And they put a lot of work into these reports. Some cases, they would be 40, 50, 60 pages. Some of them over the years, I've even seen over 100 page reports that almost resembled white papers and uh, really great research that was being done. So what I started to do was just really think through not just the, re- the predictions themselves. Anybody can come up with a one-line prediction. Is it going to snow tomorrow or not? But how much work goes into that? How much you know detail goes into that? And I noticed that some companies were just consistently putting out outstanding reports. So it's not just the prediction itself, but the, the research that went into that, some companies call it forecasts, some call them trends, some call them different things, but they're all very uh, well done. And, and, and so just really trying to categorize those. And then I, over the years, I started giving awards for what I thought were the best, most well done. And not just because you know, I can't predict the future any better than anybody else can, but I certainly can look at the research and the, and the depth and the breadth of the work that's gone into these reports. And some of them are just really well done. Well, you're giving me a little bit of a grad school PTSD on <laughs> the content analysis. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. I actually, you know, nerd alert, I actually kind of liked doing stuff like that. So that's kind of why, you know, I was attracted to you because it's like, this is, uh, this is a lot of quality work. Your article, Lorman on Security, it appears on GovTech, the GovTech site, but you know, I've been stalking you for a little bit. Okay. <laughs> and it really, your article seems to have a hefty amount of play into the private sector, even though that site is more geared towards public. Am I getting that right? Yeah, it's Lorman on cybersecurity. Just make sure that's clear to everybody. So it's, uh, I mainly write for public sector, but you're right. It, you know, my, je- my day job with Presidio is really kind of 80% public sector, 20% private sector. The thing that's interested about interesting about that is that you know, even when working with government, we're working with lots of partners like IBM and, you know, lots of, you know, AWS and, and CrowdStrike and, you know, go through the whole list. So even as we're providing solutions and really talking through challenges with government clients, so 80% of my my work and client is our government. So it's mainly state and local governments. I do some work in the Fed, but mainly focus on state and local governments. But I still work with lots of vendors to, to, in order to deliver that, you know, to make sure that, you know, we bring the best solutions to our partners in government. Yeah, I, I actually appreciate the spirit that, that that brings to the table as well, since, you know, it takes a village and none of us can do it on our own, nor should we. So the fact that we share information across the sectors is actually a really good thing. So let's dive in to the predictions themselves. What did we get right in 2022? Yeah, I mean, we got a lot right, actually. You know, um, we felt there's a lot of people that believe that ransomware was going to continue to be a real threat and actually grow and expand, and it and it did. Interestingly enough, in almost every one of these areas, you may hear me repeat this a few times, there's always contrarians in almost any topic because there were a few people, not very many, a few people last year that thought, you know, ransomware was going to diminish and all of a sudden was going to be magically gone from the scene. But that was really a minority opinion. Most people thought it was going to grow and become even worse. It continued to be, you know, kind of scary. And it was. So I think challenges around 
ransomware as a service, and we'll dive into ransomware in a few minutes, but a lot of the trends that people saw around the proliferation of the number of attacks, the, the, the sophistication of the attacks, those things are all truly what happened in 2022. So we saw a lot of that, and we saw you know a lot of the, the challenges that are listed around threats in space. There certainly were some of those as more of that predicted for the coming year. But a lot of, of, of vulnerabilities around um, log4j vulnerabilities, but you know other types of issues related to different types of malware threats continuing to grow, and then a renewed emphasis on IoT types of attacks too. So Internet of Things, meaning whether that be autonomous vehicles, drones, other things that were not your traditional computer, and you know hospitals getting hit, uh, equipment in hospitals, certainly hot. You know had a big year of attacks against hospitals. Well, that's good to know that we got some stuff right in 2022. So let's talk about 2023 and we'll pick on everybody's favorite topic to kick things off. And that is the one you already mentioned, ransomware. So we do have a lot of folks predicting that ransomware attacks are going to spike again in 2023 with the potential exception of larger organizations in regions that have already been heavily impacted. So in fact, here at X-Force, we've seen that these are the same organizations that have invested the resources to help better defend themselves. But other cyber leaders are predicting that the ransomware ecosystem is going to continue to evolve and grow with smaller, more agile groups that are more well-equipped to evade law enforcement, meaning we don't expect it to drop off the radar. What did your research tell you that we might see for ransomware in 2023? Yeah, so as as I mentioned earlier, you're gonna probably hear this in many of the areas. There, there's differences of opinion on some of this, but one of the big trends I saw across a lot of companies was a belief that ransomware as a service would diminish in a sense of this ransomware was being used by a wide variety of bad actors across you know multiple continents and, and different industries and things. It was putting a big target on the back of those those criminals, if you will, those companies, uh, whatever you want to call them, criminal enterprises, uh, and so the, the the trend being that you know it's going to become more focused, more targeted ransomware, not the expansive target on your back ransomware as a service would diminish. Now others are saying ransomware as a service will continue and modernize their software and exfiltration leak sites. In that they they're really going to go after. Brand names are you know, going to be a big target. And that in many cases, the brand damage is actually a bigger deal to a lot of Fortune 500 companies or Fortune 2000 companies than actually paying the ransom or regaining access to the encrypted files so that they're going to refocus how they do what they do. Several people, several companies mentioned that they thought that uh, ransomware attacks would be less by nation states and organized groups but more by bragging rights than actual financial gain. And so, again, we'll see if that develops or not. There would be a lot of different actors, not just nation states or organized groups, but just people trying to use ransomware to to make a name for themselves or to have bragging rights. Extortion attacks would be continuing to grow. Uh, Some people think that it's going to shift that Europe could actually be a bigger target in the coming year than the United States. And that was, I think, Mandy and said that and a few others. A couple other things different people are saying about ransomware, but I like this one. This is Trend Micro. When compelled, ransomware actors will adapt and adopt other criminal business models, online or offline. That 
monetize initial access, such as short and distant schemes or other forms of stock fraud, business email compromise, cryptocurrency theft, or others like that. So again, kind of, you know, once you're in the system going sideways and using that information to maybe not just do what we think of as historical ransomware, but um, the trend we've seen in the last few years, but go into some of these other models, business models, criminal business models for things like business email compromise. Yeah, I, I find it interesting the way these folks behave. It's it's seriously pages out of legitimate business. And I think in the legit world, we call that business development, right? Um, <laughs> and yeah. I agree with you that, uh, I mean, we're seeing a little bit of conflicting uh, detail on how ransomware might continue, but the message is pretty much the same and it's not going to go anywhere, folks. So brace yourself for 2023. Topic number two, among my favorites, social engineering. Now, Trend Micro, among others, had some pretty foreboding predictions for social engineering in 2023, including the notion that threat actors are going to continue to adapt to new technologies, and two, that they're also going to target a population that makes financial purchases and investments online. And number three, which I, I kind of raise an eyebrow at, it, it was interesting point, that romance schemes are going to be targeted at specific individuals in 2023, so look out Cupid. Couple of questions for you. First, what is your take on what we might see on the social engineering front? And two, what do you think will be the role of deep fakes? Another interesting topic for me. And number three, what's your counsel to those folks, and you guys know you're out there, who might think that they're less vulnerable because they have implemented MFA? Yeah, three great questions. So I'll take them one at a time and, and kind of go through. But I think social engineering, you know, almost every single report said it's going to continue and expand and even be, and we've seen it for, you know, really decades. And it obviously as people use social engineering, you know, different types of social media, but different types of uh, social engineering attacks really through the years, it's continued to grow. And, and you know, I, I worked for a security awareness training company in my previous role before Presidio, and it was all, we used to say 90% of attacks are around people. It's people processing technology, but it's all about the people. So absolutely think it's going to continue to expand and you're going to see different twists on that. A lot of different examples that were given in the reports, and these aren't Dan Lorman's, these are from all these different companies, but talking about classic honey traps, people trying to do, like I said, romance schemes is, is one of the ones Trend Micro mentioned, but any kind of way, fake jobs, fake resumes, or trying to get your resume, fake jobs that are out there trying to get you to submit your information. There's lots of stories of you know companies that are fraudulent companies or fraudulent recruiters trying to pretend to be working for a company, get you to send them their information, maybe your social security number, send them your data. They can then use that for identity theft. Certainly deep fakes will be part of that. Almost every report said targeted deep fakes. We've seen this for a couple of years now, hasn't been, you know, number one on the, a lot of lists, but it, it's number one on a lot of lists this year. And so that it's going to be more and more sophisticated. It's going to really be hard to know. Are you really dealing with who you think you're dealing with? Make sure you double check your, you know, your references, your resources, your contacts. Don't just assume that the person, I mean, we know that we're in the cyber business, right? But I mean, the reality is so many people are are, are fooled and the, and the bad actors are getting even better at what they do and their defects is going to let them do that. And then counsel and MFA, again, a number of reports and I highly encourage you to go look at these detailed reports on this, that MFA 
because it's being so widely adopted now, will in fact become a big target in 2023 and and will be uh, more and more compromised. And, and using you know your traditional phone text uh, approach versus using an app, multi-factor authentication is, is seen to be more vulnerable, of course, in many ways. We could dive into those details. But the reality is that uh, man-in-the-middle attacks, attacks against MFA are going to become more common and uh, the criminals are going to use those to gain access into more enterprises. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right on the MFA side. In fact, we're already starting to see some of that. And spoiler alert, we do have an episode coming up that features a social engineering hacker uh, who's going to share her secrets on how she does what she does. So stay tuned for that, folks. But I want to comment back on this this romance schemes one. I mean, it's like, <laughs> dang, Dan. I mean, dating is so hard as it is. And now we have to look out, <laughs> look out for like actual fakers on on our romance. So uh, again, look out, Cupid. Guard yourself, folks. Topic number three: cyber insurance. Now, with more attacks taking place, insurers have been paying out a lot more on cyber insurance and are not making the same profits that they used to. There are a lot of statistics out there about how much money they're not making, but the result is the same. Insurance premiums have been climbing sharply and policies are harder than ever to obtain. It sounds like that process is expected to become even more challenging yet. What does the industry expect to see from insurance providers in 23? Yeah, and I think it's going to be a continuation of the trend we saw in 22. So this is another one where there's definitely a divergent of opinions. But by and large, everyone's saying, and again, this is some people will be listeners will think this is just you know obvious because we've seen uh, a huge increase in premiums and a huge reduction in the amount of coverage, and that that trend would be you know continuing and even growing worse. I just did another piece on this at the beginning of the year after the predictions came out when uh, Mario Greco, who's the chief executive at Zurich Insurance, came out in a big uh, Financial Times article at the end of the year after Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's, I believe, with the Financial Times in London and said, basically, cyber attacks are set to become uninsurable. And this has set off like alarm bells across uh, across the industry, you know, across the world, really, tons and tons of LinkedIn comments on this. I read and, and, that. I read that. Yes. I mean, it's it's getting it's getting a ton of attention. Funny thing is, a lot of these reports that were that were talking about this came out in November, December. So this actually was one that actually came true almost before the New Year started, even. But um, a lot of people suggesting that insurance is is going to be harder to get. It's going to be more complicated. A lot of comments around it. A lot of the, the reports said this, and also people who commented on this on this uh, Zurich story said that that's not true. That you know that it's still going to be available. Some people may drop out of the of the market, but others will come back in. But clearly, it's going to be more due diligence. It's going to be harder. Get ready for longer forms if you can get insurance at all. There will be, and I have seen this certainly in the public sector, lots and lots of governments that have dropped out and said, we're going to self-insure because we just can't afford it or we can't even get it or we can't do all the things that are being required of us in order to get the insurance. Of course, that should set off red flags with those companies because, you know, if you're not doing certain basic things like patching your systems or, you know, having a security awareness training programs and things like that, that's a big problem as well for your enterprise. But yeah, there's a lot of a lot of um, articles that are saying that cyber insurance is going to be harder to get, basically more money for less coverage. 
Well, insurance is never fun to begin with. Sorry to pick on you folks in the insurance industry, but we all know it's true. And yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to become even more problematic in 2023 on the cyber front. So topic number four, the Ukraine war. One of the big misses last year by pretty much everyone out there was how the Russia-Ukraine conflict would accelerate cyber warfare and have this you know, substantial global impact. Well, in 2022, at least, we didn't see much of that come to fruition. The conflict definitely dominated both the news cycle and industry talk, but the impact was much less than predicted. Why do you think that was? And do you think it's going to change in 2023? Yeah, and I think there are different opinions out there again on this. I've seen a number of reports talking about this. Uh, CISA's got a great website you can go to called Shields Up. There's a lot of people who come right out and say that, you know, we've done a good job at the, of defending, that our defenses were better than, you know, the, the, maybe that's good news. The industry's done better. That's one theory. I'm going to give you four different ones out there, and it could be a combination of all of the above. You know, there's a lot of work that has been done, both from individual enterprises, governments, groups like NSA and, you know, our DOD, Department of Defense, to protect people. Along those same lines, there's those who believe that it's fear of retribution, that the worst attacks from nation states like Russia maybe did not happen because they knew that if they did escalate to that level, that it could, A, draw in NATO, it could draw in kind of crossing that line of bringing in other nations into the war and you know where, where that line is. I think it's a gray line. It'd be a great session just to talk about that, but cyber war and when does that, you know, when does the attacks online become starting to kill people or you bring down the grid or something like that happens, you know, does that bring NATO into the war in a more direct way? So that that's one, another score thought. Another one is that in fact, it's poor offense and the, and the, the tools from Russia and, and maybe others are not as good as people thought. Again, there are differences of opinion on this and there are different uh, examples we give in the article. And then the, the, the fourth one, it's again, it could be a combination of these. But in fact, the attacks are happening and we're just not seeing them very much. And of course, some nations have been hit. We have some examples of, of big attacks that happened last year that really brought down systems in, in countries and brought down whole, not so much United States or, or large countries in the in the kind of G8, but there were a number of attacks that really brought down governments around the world um, as far as systems and capabilities and the, you know their economy and things. And so perhaps that it other more things are going on. You know, I, we talked earlier, I, I mean, I mean, come from the intelligence community way back when, you know, I started my career at the National Security Agency. We had the old cliche, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So is there stuff happening behind the scenes that we're going to be hearing about, you know, in, in the coming year that's, you know, going to get worse? So those are just four different theories on that one simple question. You know, I, I do think that most people think that Ukraine was the big miss last year. And it will continue to dominate and influence cybersecurity, you know, throughout 2023. I find it interesting to note that while we didn't see a lot and, you know, head to head conflict between nation states, what there was was a, a real rise in hacktivism and people actually hacking on behalf of, of both sides of the conflict. And I do think that's probably something that we're going to continue to see in 2023. 
another topic we could do a freaking whole episode on hacktivism. So I totally agree. And and by the way, just so you know, back in 2016, there was a lot of predictions around. I made some predictions, and others made predictions about hacktivism. So again, one of the things I want to point out to all the listeners is that sometimes they don't get the year right, but they get the trend right. I mean, there was a lot. I mean, it's like this is coming. You know, like artificial intelligence and you know, you know, autonomous vehicles and everything else, and you know what's going to happen with cyber. And so sometimes. There's a trend, but it may or may not happen in the year that we think it's going to happen. See, you're giving me so many spoiler alerts, Danny, because there's another episode coming out on, on quantum computing. So brace yourself, folks. All right. So I have this is a trick question for you because I've lumped two things in here at once. Cryptocurrency and social media. Let's talk about crypto first. 2022 hot mess for the crypto market in a multitude of ways. It was plagued by macroeconomic pressures. There were scandals, meltdowns, fortunes were wiped out overnight. As the year closed, there was a lot of confusion about the industry, especially after FTX. We saw further impact very recently with Coinbase laying off almost a thousand workers just this month. What changes do you think we will see in crypto in 2023? And given the fall of FTX, do you think we're going to see a renewed push to regulate? I absolutely do believe that. And that's that's a prediction, regulation, more regulation around crypto and, and around different aspects of that, you know, uh, how you can invest. All different types of predictions around crypto were very popular uh, in this prediction report from a lot of different sources and, and companies. That's both your exchanges, basically the way that what needs to be made public, you know, how, you know, what's in the United States, what's offshore, what's around the world, how we work together with other, you know, the European Union around crypto. There's a lot of predictions around that. And I certainly do believe, and I I, I personally believe, but I also see that as a big trend in the report, that more regulation is coming in pretty much all aspects of crypto. If it's going, you know, to try and try and prevent another FTX from happening. In addition to that, build more confidence into the crypto markets so people know exactly, you know, what can and can't be done by those that are holding their, you know, their Bitcoin or their other cryptocurrencies. Well, somewhere else that has seen a lot of upheaval is social media and no names mentioned Twitter. You know who you are. (laughs) Well, there was a lot of drama, right? Over the year as Musk bid for and then retracted and then bid for again the acquisition throughout the year. But I think the real news emerged as he embarked in his role as the leader. And he slashed staff and reportedly left the company cyber vulnerable. Then there was the news of, you know, the notion of free speech and reinstatement of many formerly banned accounts who'd been shelved for, well, a variety of reasons, including the proliferation of disinformation. And then just recently, (laughs) there was yet another thing, the leak of 200 and some odd million users information that was reported, which was refuted by Twitter. But again, we don't know the story here yet. That may be setting the stage for more government oversight of the platform and social media in general. What do you think 2023 holds for our social media feeds? And same question as crypto. Are we going to see a larger push to regulate disinformation? I mean, this is going to sound maybe contrarian on this point. I, I, I see with the Republican in the US, at least United States, I, I do think uh, with Republican Congress, uh, House of Representatives, they're feeling like uh, social media companies were using it for political purposes and were hiding things. So I actually think you're going to see more free speech in social media. Will there be some 
attempts, absolutely, I think you're going to see that. But the, the regulating disinformation, I think, is is there's, there's obviously two schools of fault, uh, you know, thought on that, right? I mean, one is that, and again, I'm not trying to take sides here. I'm just I'm telling you what I see and what I think, you know, is talked about in a lot of these reports that they see, you know, the, the challenge is one person's disinformation is someone's else, you know, it's it dirt on the other side of the other political party and that kind of thing. So how do you regulate that? Certainly there has to come some set of standards that can be agreed upon, hopefully by both sides. I, I wouldn't hold your breath in 2023 that that's going to happen from a legislative perspective when you've got, you know, a lot of Republicans and Democrats who disagree on you know, what is what on this. So I guess I'm less, op- personally, I'm a less, little less optimistic that we're going to have more regulation around disinformation in social media than I am that we're going to have regulation around crypto. I think crypto, you are going to see regulation and it's going to happen. Yeah, I actually tend to agree with you on both of those points. I think politics is going to play a big role in what we see for social media. And definitely on the crypto side, we've made such a mess. Uh, the regulators are definitely going to step in. So Dan, switch gears here. We talked a lot about, you know, some bad things that are going to happen for 2023. Give me two good things or three good things that are going to happen in 23. What do you think? Yeah, I think the good news that I think I'm seeing, and again, a lot of predictions around this, you know, we haven't talked about cyber talent. We haven't talked about, you know, there's always a, a trend every year in all these prediction reports that we need to have more, you know, that we don't have enough people in, in cybersecurity, right? So more women in cybersecurity, more diversity in cybersecurity, and the downturn, you know, this we've all seen recently, you know, layoffs. We'll see whether we have a recession or not. I'm not making a prediction on that, but clearly there have been some layoffs that actually can help bring people in the cybersecurity careers and 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 especially in the public sector. I mean, I know when when the stock markets go down, I was many years in government cybersecurity as a CISO in Michigan. When when there was a big, you know, downturn in 08, you know, when we had the stock market drop and the so shares weren't worth as much and things, uh, we actually brought a lot of good people in the public sector to actually help. So I think those are some good things that could come out of, uh, of, of even a downturn in the economy and or as we head into 2023, getting more talent from women, more diversity um, in other areas, and then also maybe more opportunity to fill some of those vacancies. Well, I like the optimism and I agree on the silver lining in economic downturn. Man, it's like you've seen my episode list because I do have an episode coming up on the talent shortfall and specifically looking at LGBTQ population and how they might fit into the cyber community and how they're doing so now. Dan, I really appreciate your time today. This is fascinating. And for those of you who are listening, make sure you go on to the article and take a look at the URLs that link back to Dan's reports. Uh, They are a little bit long, but I promise you they are fascinating reads. A special thanks to our guest, Dan Lorman, for his time and insight for this episode. If you want to hear more stories like this, make sure to subscribe to Into the Breach on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You've been listening to Into the Breach, an IBM production. This episode was produced by Zach Ortega, and our music was composed by Jordan Wallace. Thanks for venturing Into the Breach.